Good morning. Oh, we've had a great weekend so far. Glad you're here at Great Oaks to start a new week with God's people as we worship together. Uh, there is someone, at least someone, in this auditorium that you don't know yet. So as you leave today, try to see any unfamiliar faces and say hi. We do have a lot of visitors. Thank you for being here. Uh, we always like our visitors to know our goals here at Great Oaks. We are trying to just be Christians, just follow Jesus Christ. That's why we put Church of Christ on the sign we're just trying to follow Jesus Christ and nothing else. We're trying to help each other follow Jesus Christ. And we're trying to encourage our entire world to follow Jesus Christ, just like Christians have done for 2,000 years. So if you have any questions about us, or if we can help you in any way, please let us know. We're really glad you're here today and hope we get to meet you before you leave. A few other things we're excited about before we get started today. Would the Moore family please stand up for a second? Let everybody see you. So Todd and Emily Moore and their kids Hayden, Ashton, and Jackson, uh, standing over here to my left. They met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know they would like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family, so we're glad they are. If you guys want to have a seat, uh, I'll say a few more things about you. Uh, you'll, you'll be forgiven if you think that the Moors have already been members here for many years, <laughs> because they've been worshiping with us and, and been involved in a lot of things, and so we've loved that. We've loved getting to know them and having their involvement in a lot of our ministries um, but they, uh, they just recently, like I said, met with the elders. Todd and Emily both moved to Memphis around age eight and nine. Todd was originally in Cincinnati uh, where he was growing up, and Emily was in Waverly. Uh, but they've been here in Memphis ever since. Emily was baptized into Christ at a church camp in Alabama as she was growing up. And Todd was baptized in 2005 at the Sycamore View congregation here in Memphis. They were married in 06. They've been married for 16 years. Uh, Hayden, 13 years old, Ashton, 11, and Jackson is 9. I think I have those right. Hobby-wise, Todd likes skiing. He likes um, hunting. He likes building things. Emily likes going to the lake. She likes being outdoors, and they both together have a business called Technic Solutions. We've really enjoyed having the Moore family with us. Meet them if you haven't yet, and we're glad you guys are here, part of the Great Oaks family. Thanks for being here. One other thing to mention before we have our prayer uh, that we're excited about, tonight is our focus reorganization. If you look inside the order of worship, it says a few more things about that. Uh, please don't read it all during the sermon, but it is in there if you want to know a little bit more about it. Um, when you have a few hundred people together, the way to connect is to get people into smaller groups. And so Bible classes help with that. If you want to connect a little deeper, come to our Bible classes. If you want to connect a little deeper, be part of our smaller groups. We have men's and women's Bible study groups. We also have these focus groups. And the focus groups are fellowship opportunities. We'll get together about five times a year, eat together, pray together, um, be there for each other in life. Uh, it'll help you connect if you're wanting to connect a little closer to God's people. And we hope you are. Uh, we'd love for you to be part of focus teams. Derek has asked me to let you know, Derek Williams helping us organize these teams this year. He's going to be down near the front here in the auditorium if you have not signed up for those yet and would like to for this year. Or ask him any questions about it. He'll be down here after our worship service, or you can sign up in the back. Uh, just let us know today. We'd love for you to be part of that if you'd like to be. Also in our prayer, we're going to pray for our city. Uh, it's been a hard a few days, hard few weeks. Um, since the Tyree Nichols situation, we're going to pray for the Nichols family. We're going to pray for our law enforcement. We're going to pray for our city. And I pray that God will bless um, all the, the difficulties that we've had these last few weeks. Let's pray together, then we'll start our, our lesson. God, we love you so much. You have always been there. You've always loved us. And you are our God and our creator. We're thankful we can worship you today. We're thankful we can come together and be reminded of what's most important in life, uh, to be with other people who are trying to follow you, 
God, please bless every soul in this room. Please help our hearts to be what they need to be. Help us to take whatever steps we need to take to be right with you. Guide our lives, the ups and downs. You know what we need. God, we're thankful today for the Moore family. We're thankful for Todd and Emily and their kids. We're thankful for their smiles and their faith. And I pray, God, that you would bless them and their time here at Great Oaks. I pray we can all serve you together for many years and that we can be an encouragement to them. God, we're thankful for our focus teams, our focus ministry here. I pray, God, you bless that as we start a new year. I pray you'd help us to deepen our relationships and deepen our faith through those teams. Um, please, Lord, bless what we're trying to do with that. God, we also pray for our city. Uh, we're, we're all saddened by the, the tragedy of Tyree Nichols, and we pray, God, that you would be with the Nichols family as they're suffering loss. We pray, God, you would be with law enforcement as they try to um, do better and figure out how to handle these interactions in a better way. God, be with our country as we're all trying to figure out um, how to handle these things. We need your guidance. We need you to be with us. Lord, I pray that as we have worshiped today, I pray that our heart has already been with you. And I pray it'll be the same for our time of opening your word together. I pray that what is said in our lesson will be what you want to be said. Please bless it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our theme this year, we announced a few weeks ago, let us arise and build. It is a recommitment theme. And so if you feel like your faith has drifted, if you feel like you've maybe taken some steps away from God, maybe got distracted by all the crazy events of the last few years, uh, this is your year. This is your year to get your faith back where you want it to be. This is our year as a church family, we'd like to think, of continuing to grow the work of God uh, with each other and in our community. And so we pray it's going to be a great year. With that theme, it comes from Ezra and Nehemiah. So next Sunday morning, we're going to start studying through Ezra and Nehemiah. Some great stuff in Ezra and Nehemiah. Our kids are going through it in Bible Bowl and Lads to Leaders. Uh, we'll start that next week. But we'll, the first series we've had here to start the year has been called Seeking God's Foundation. And that theme comes from Ephesians chapter 2. It's, it's the building theme. It works with the church in the New Testament as well. Not only rebuilding Jerusalem and Ezra and Nehemiah, but rebuilding the church in the New Testament. Paul says here in Ephesians 2, you're no longer strangers and aliens when you're a Christian. You're not strangers to God anymore. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're of God's household. He's calling that the church, God's household. I love that description. And what does he say about the church? Verse 20, it has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. If I understand that correctly, he's saying that the Word of God, given through the apostles by the Holy Spirit, given through the prophets in the New Testament by the Holy Spirit, that with Christ as the cornerstone, the church is built on that. And so as, a, as people of faith, we always want to be asking, are we building on God's foundation? Are we doing what God wants us to do? We don't ever want to be, be caught up in culture or caught up in what everybody else is doing and start doing our own thing. We want to say continually, is this what God would have us to build in our faith and in our churches? And so we're trying to do that. This is what we've seen in the series so far. We talked about baptism two weeks ago. These are on the website if you're interested in going back and looking at them. If you have not been baptized into Christ for forgiveness of sins, we really encourage you to do that. Pray about that. Think about that. It's important enough in Scripture that they, even if people had been baptized in the past, Acts chapter 19, they, they did it right when they heard about the baptism of Jesus. And there's people in this room who were baptized into Christ when they heard about the baptism of Jesus. Uh, we would sure love to see you do that if you haven't. Let us know if you have any questions about that. Last week we asked the question, why the Church of Christ? They used that, 
that topic title because that's the question I was asking as a teenager at some point growing up. Why do we pass all these other churches with different names? Why is our religious world so divided? Is that what God wants? And so we talked about that last Sunday. What I hope we saw is in Churches of Christ, we're trying to be undenominational followers of Jesus. That's sure what we're trying to do here at Great Oaks, by just going back to the Word of God, trying our best to do what it says. And then today we're going to ask one more foundation-type question. What, what, is, what would God have us to do as a church? How should we worship? I still think this is an important question. I think it always has been. I think it always will be. Some of you have probably grew up when this question was debated a lot more than it is today. My impression is it used to be a much bigger topic of debate. It used to be preached on much more often than it is today. Uh, I think a lot of people um, in our religious world have maybe come to the conclusion that God, God doesn't care, that God just doesn't care how we worship. Um, what we want to do as people of faith is ask the question, what does the Bible say? What does God say about it? We're going to try to dig into that today, and I hope it'll, hope it'll help all of us. hope it'll be a good reminder if you've studied this before, maybe, a, maybe spark some thoughts if you haven't studied this before. Let's talk about Christian worship and what the Bible says about it. So I've started with two what I think are important worship passages. We're going to do the most famous one that Jesus said, and then we're going to look at the very first one in the Bible. So I think those are two pretty important passages. The first one is the one Jesus said. Carter read this just a minute ago before I got up here. John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. And as she figures out that this guy must be at least a prophet, she would find out he was even more than that, being the son of God. But she starts asking some religious questions. She says, you Jews say we've got to worship in Jerusalem. We say we worship here. And so they bring up a little religious debate. So the, the debate, the conversation turns to worship. And Jesus says, verses 23 and 24, An hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I've underlined a few things here to help us uh, emphasize a few things. So when Jesus uses that phrase, or that, yeah, I guess phrase, term, true worshipers... In verse 23, if there is such thing as a true worshiper in Jesus' mind, what must there also be able to be? A a false worshiper or an incorrect worshiper. There is is true or, I guess, untrue, if you want to call it that way. There is a true worshiper or an untrue worshiper in Jesus' mind. God wants us to be true worshipers. Notice that word seeks that we underlined in verse 23. God is seeking true worshipers. And then how does He define it? How does he find true worship here? Those who worship in spirit and in truth. I think the spirit, if you notice verse 24, he says God is spirit. God's not physical, he's not flesh. He says God is spirit, so we must worship him in spirit. I think he's talking there about about the heart. Our heart must truly be worshiping. That can be a challenge sometimes. Sometimes we come in and we're tired and we're distracted and we have all the things in the world and, and our heart isn't really worshiping God. That can be a struggle. He says God's, God's spirit must worship in spirit. He also says you must worship in truth. If I understand that, that term correctly, especially in the Gospel of John, um, worship God in, with what is right. And what is right is, is God himself. Jesus says that he is the truth in John 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life. John 17, 17, Jesus says as he's praying to God, your word is truth. 
And so when we're talking about worshiping in truth, we're talking about worshiping with what is right with God and what is really with what God has said to do. Jesus says, true worshipers worship God in their spirits and in truth, what God wants to actually be done in worship. A second important passage, I believe, is Genesis chapter 4. We'll see a similar conclusion here. This is the first description of worship we have in the Bible. And it teaches an important lesson that I think maybe we forget in our religious world today. This is Cain and Abel. And it says, verse 3, now we can assume, even though this is the first mention of worship, I think it's assumed that there has been worship before this. But this is the first time we're told about, about any worship in the Bible. It says, it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So this is a, a sacrifice offering and he brings fruit of the ground, grain or, or something that he brings to God. Abel, verse 4, on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And whether that's sheep perhaps or bulls or goats, whatever, he brings the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. Notice this. The Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. I think a lot of people know that Cain killed Abel um, here in this, this sad tragedy so early in humanity here in the early chapters of Genesis. What not everybody knows is the reason he got so angry at him. Because God was happy with Abel's worship, he was not happy with Cain's. Now, we don't know why. Now, some people point to that word in verse 4, firstlings, where, and maybe, maybe Abel brought his best and Cain didn't. Maybe, the Bible doesn't say, unless that firstlings is supposed to be that hint for us. Maybe God wanted animal sacrifices and not fruit of the ground like Cain brought. Maybe. Maybe Abel's heart was right, but Cain's heart was not right. Maybe. We don't know. But here's what I think we do know. From the very first mention of worship, here's what I think we learn. God does not accept all worship. And and sometimes God says, "That that is not what you should have brought before me. We'll talk about why for a few minutes. But I think it's important to notice that. If you're just reading through your Bible, just trying to, what does the Bible say about worship? The very first time it's offered, we are told... God may accept it and He may not. I, I want to know why. You know, if I want to be a follower of God and I want to bring true worship to God, how can I make sure that I and we as a group are bringing true worship to God? So let's spend a few minutes talking about that. If you have the outline there, you can see that I've got five things that I think you're going to find as you just read through your Bible. Five reasons why worship might dishonor God rather than honor Him. And so we want to avoid these things. These are things the Bible that God tells us. Be careful here, because this dishonors me. And we want to bring true worship. So let's talk about it. Number one, in Scripture, God is dishonored by hypocritical worship. Hypocritical. I'll give you a minute to write that one down. Well, what, is a, what is a hypocrite? Hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something they're not. Now, I always want to point out, there's a difference in, in being a sinner and being a hypocrite. I think we all come before God every week as people who have failed in the last week in some way. None of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us will live a single day exactly like Jesus would have lived it. And so we all come before God in some way as sinful people. We need need to be covered by His grace and blood. That's why we're Christians. We trust the, the grace of God to cover us through Jesus. But a hypocrite, 
is not just a sinner. A hypocrite is someone who is, who is faking. They're living sinfully and, and they're just faking faith. What does the Bible say about hypocritical worship? Look, for example, we'll start Old Testament and the New Testament. Amos chapter 5. The prophet Amos was preaching a very wealthy time for God's people in Israel. And look at what God says through the prophet Amos to the people. And remember as we read this, it's in the Old Testament, so you'll see Old Testament worship forms like festivals you see here, like sacrifices, like harps, things you see in the Old Testament. But what, notice just the principle of worship. I hate, God says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. God's not happy with their worship. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. You say, why, God? That's what you asked for in the law of Moses. That's what they were supposed to bring in the Old Testament. Why does he not even want to look at them? God says, take away, verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Why? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What's Amos saying? What's God saying through Amos? Instead of just bringing me worship, you need to get your lives right first. You're not living justly. You're not living righteously. That word, we don't use the word righteousness a lot in our everyday language. We see that word right in there. It means right. You're not living right for me. You're not, you're not even trying to live right. You're living these sinful lives, and then you walk in and think worship's just going to cover all that up. He says that's not how it works. Now, if we're coming to God and worship in worship in confession... And in penitence, that, that's different. God, God accepts whenever we come back to Him. But if we're just living hypocritical lives and come in and think we can punch a time clock on Sunday morning and God's going to cover all that, the Bible says that's not how it works. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, another passage to write down on this if you're keeping the outline with us, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says, If you're presenting an offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, notice it, He doesn't say, Worship first. And then go to your brother. He says, you, you, you wait on worship until you go get that right. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. In other words, try to get your life right first before you come before me. We don't ever want to be guilty of hypocritical worship. Come before God as people who really aren't trying to live for Him. We'll always come before God as imperfect people who are falling short of His glory. But we want to be people who are trying to live for Him. Hope that makes sense. So hypocritical worship. Number two, God is dishonored in Scripture, not only by hypocritical worship. He's dishonored by performance worship. That's interesting, isn't it? Look at what Jesus says, again, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 1 and 5 of Matthew chapter 6. Verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then he talks about worship in verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What's he saying? If you are worshiping just for people to see how great you are, that, that, is, that is not honoring to God. And I think that's going to be a temptation, and especially in, in a place like America, we're a very entertainment-oriented culture. 
We, we, we celebrate talent and we celebrate people's abilities. But when we, when we worship, it's not about celebrating us, is it? It's supposed to be about honoring God. And so whenever we worship together, it's never, the preacher should never be trying to put on a performance. That should never be the motive. The song leader should never be trying to put on a performance. Whoever's leading our prayers, leading us into different acts of worship, they're never putting on a performance. There's not an audience. There's not an audience and then a performer. The only audience in worship is God, right? That, he's the audience, and we are offering worship to God. God is not happy with performance worship. We've got to be careful about that. Now, now one, one thing that's encouraging to me, I feel like I hear a lot of people in our religious world who are starting to feel that in their own, in their own faith, saying things like, oh, they're just, they're just trying to have a concert over there. I think people are getting the sense that that just doesn't feel like Christian worship when you're trying to make it a big performance. And, and of course, Jesus says the same thing. That doesn't honor God. Number three, in Scripture, just reading through Scripture, what, what does God say types of worship that He does not approve of? Heartless worship. Heartless. So we've seen hypocritical worship. We've seen performance worship. We've seen heartless worship. The Old Testament prophet of Malachi. I won't read this whole section, but I'd encourage you to. This is a really powerful worship passage. In Malachi 1, 6 through 14, he's writing that Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament period. He's the last book of the Old Testament, in fact. And so he is writing, and in this first section, it's about worship. And look at what he says, verse 6. He says, A son honors his father. A servant honors his, honors his master. Then if I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And God starts talking about their worship. Apparently they had developed an attitude of worship where they said, oh, it's tiresome. Oh, it's, it's we have to go worship again. I hope that's never our attitude. And if it is, I hope we... we gather our heart together and pick it up and put it where it needs to be. He says, don't, don't let that be your attitude, because that's what's going on in Malachi 1. He says in verse 8, when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? Do you remember in the Old Testament when they brought their, their lambs and their bulls and their goats? They're supposed to bring, like Abel did, the firstlings of his flock. They're supposed to bring the first and the best. He didn't say, well, I'm going to keep the best ones, and then I'll give, I'll give the leftovers to God. That's, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bring your your first and your best. And I hope when we come to worship, we we try to bring God our first and our best, not just our leftovers. He says here, when you bring the blind, these blind sheep, that's not your first, your best. He says that's evil. When you present the lame and the sick, people are bringing sick lambs. I don't need this one. It's sick. I'll give that one to God. He says, why not offer that to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Sometimes we treat God with less respect than we treat people. We treat our, our governor, or our boss, or our leaders with more respect than we would give God in worship. God says, that's, that's not right. Your governor wouldn't receive you with that type of attitude, and, and you would bring your worst or your leftovers to me? God says, that's, that's not right. Verse 10, God says, I wish someone would just shut the gates. <laughs> I wish someone would just lock the doors, because you're uselessly kindling fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the word of host, nor will I accept an offering from you. And then I, I just want to underline there in verse 11. Uh, he wants offerings that are pure, that are right. Worship that is pure before God. Look at their attitude in verse 13. They were saying, oh, how tiresome it is. Again, I hope that's never us. And oh, not, I have to go to worship again. Um, somebody told me here recently that 
when they were growing up in church, if they ever said we have to go to, to church or have to go to worship, their parents would get on to them and say, we, we do not have to go to worship. We, we get to go to worship. I thought, what a, good, what a good little mental thing to be teaching in your family. How tiresome it is, they were saying. God says, you're just bringing me the leftovers. Um, then look at, I'll read verse 14. That's how it ends. Cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the word of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. God is worthy of true first and best worship. Let's always try to give that to him. In the Bible, it doesn't, doesn't accept heartless worship. And then Jesus said the same. We saw it in John chapter 4. We're supposed to worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and our, our, our hearts need to be there. Our hearts need to be engaged, and so our worship needs to be meaningful. Now, those of us who are trying to lead in worship, we have responsibility here to try to, try to help our worship be meaningful, not performing, but trying to make it meaningful. And then there's also responsibility whenever we're, we're joining with the leader in worship, that we're trying to have our hearts engaged in the worship as well. So there's responsibilities on both sides to try to make sure our worship is meaningful before God. Let's never be guilty as best we can of heartless worship. Number four. In Scripture, God is dishonored by irreverent worship. The book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says a lot about their worship. He talks about their Lord's Supper, how they were not taking that in a worthy way. He talks in chapter 14 about their worship assemblies and how they were doing several things in ways that God did not want them to. Now, part of that was in the apostles' time, they had these miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. The apostles could lay hands on people and, and they would receive these gifts. And one of those was the gift of tongues. You could speak a language you'd never learned. And the Corinthians thought that was the coolest. Maybe I would have too. Maybe I would have thought that was the coolest thing too. But, but they, they decided they were going to focus their worship on speaking in tongues. And it had gotten out of control. It was this out of control chaos. And Paul says, that doesn't, doesn't honor God. And so... Again, I'm not going to read through this whole section, but the section is chapter 14, 26 through 40. He says things here like, if someone's going to speak in a tongue to lead worship, you make sure somebody can interpret that. Because or else you're just up there talking. Nobody's, nobody's understanding what you're saying. And it became this very irreverent, chaotic type of atmosphere in Corinth. And let me just read a, a few verses here that point that out, how their worship had become irreverently chaotic. Verse 23 says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? If, it people are walk, if people come to visit and they have visitors in their worship assemblies then just like we do today. And so if someone brought a friend, for example, in Corinth to come, hey, meet my church family, come worship with us. And people just get up there and start talking languages that nobody knows. Said so that visitor is going to leave saying, those people are crazy. <laughs> there's crazy. There, there's there's it's, it's out of control over there. Nothing's, nothing's actually making sense. Verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God, it, our worship in some way should reflect the goodness and the nature of God. What did Malachi say? I'm a great king. Our worship should reflect to God that He is truly a great king. God's not a God of confusion. It's not supposed to be this chaotic, out of control type of atmosphere. Our, our energy is supposed to be focused Toward, toward true worship. And then verse 40, he ends this section. Again, it's a section about the worship assembly. It says, All things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. 
And I heard a preacher say years ago, he said, that's not the only verse in the Bible, but it is in the Bible. So I think he had grown up hearing that verse over and over and over and over again. He says, it's not the only verse, but it is in there. Let's not forget that. It is in there. It's supposed to be part of what we're doing. I do want us to notice, by the way, uh, he doesn't say our worship should be done in a stale manner. That's not what he's, not what he's teaching here. He's not saying our worship should be done in an unemotional manner. That's not what he's saying. Uh, so he's not, this is not a passage that teaches that our emotions are not engaged in worship. But it is a passage that teaches we control our emotions in a certain way. Sometimes people compare worship services to, to things like school pep rallies or, uh, or basketball games. And they say, well, those people are really into it. They're, they're screaming and yelling and jumping around. That, that, you, measure, you measure being into it in a basketball game differently than you measure it in worship. <laughs> the standards are different. Um, chaos and, and confusion and loudness are the standards of into it in a basketball game. Um, focusing on God with our hearts, truly worshiping, are the standards of measure in worship. So it's not unemotional, but it is not irreverent either. And so we don't ever want to be irreverent in our worship. Number five, when we're just looking at different things the Bible says, worship God would not accept. Hypocritical, performance, heartless, irreverent, and then uncommanded worship. Start in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 10. This is the best known example in the Bible. There are others, but this is the best known example of offering God worship which He did not command and God acting in a very strong way. So here you have Nadab and Abihu. They're sons of Aaron, so they're priests in the Old Testament. They took their fire pans, they put fire in them, they placed incense on it, and offered what the Bible calls, many translations say, strange fire before the Lord. Strange because God had not asked for it. So I think what it means there. Which He had not commanded them. So they decide, even though God has not asked for this type of incense offering, we just want to give it to Him. And so we're going to give it to Him. Um, God acts very strongly. Verse 2, it says, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And if you haven't been with us before, I always trust when, when God takes a step this drastically to make a point, I, I trust that God knew all that came before and all that could come after, and God knew Dadab and Abihu's heart and whether they would turn back to Him or not. God knew all the pieces and, and knew this is a moment when I need to step in and act. And so I think we need to make sure we keep in mind a trust for God, because I think in our modern sensibilities, our first thought is, wow, would you, why would you punish that strongly? I think God knew where Nadab and Abihu's life would or would not go, and He knew this was a moment He needed to teach us something pretty serious, and He does. We can talk about that more later if you'd like to. But then, so they, they die as a result of this. But then Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and for all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. In other words, it would dishonor God to just walk in and think God should just accept any type of worship I want to give Him. It dishonors God to not treat Him as holy, to say, I'm going before the great King. I want to give Him what, he, what He's asked for. I want to give Him what He wants. I want Him to be pleased. It goes on, 1 Kings 12. I won't read this whole section either, but 1 Kings 12, 28 through 33, if you're keeping the outline with us. King Jeroboam, he makes two golden calves. He makes up his own feast. And I've always been interested in this little phrase in verse 33. It says, He made these feasts in the month which he devised in his own heart. 
That's interesting, isn't it? In other words, he didn't get that from the Word of God. He, he made that up from his own heart. That was a, a worship decision he made from himself, and God was not happy with it. In the New Testament, Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. He's quoting from the Old Testament there. It's vain worship, vain serving of God when we're just teaching men's ideas for doctrines. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, if you're here with us last week, remember that, that theme in the New Testament that says we're supposed to keep the traditions of the inspired apostles, the spiritual traditions they gave, how they worshipped, how they organized, how to teach salvation. All those things were supposed to be continued. We put all that together and, and I, I believe I want to worship God in the ways He's asked for. I was taught growing up, maybe you were too, the five acts of worship in the New Testament. And I don't hear that phrasing very often. I don't use that phrasing very often anymore. But I think anyone who studies it seriously, I think that's still what you're going to come down at. That if you just read through New Testament and say, what did they do? What did they do to worship God? I think that's what you're going to find. They prayed, they sang, they read and taught Scripture and listened to it, and they, they gave of their means, and they took the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Uh, I think that's what you're going to find. And so in Churches of Christ, and at least here at Great Oaks, uh, in trying to give God worship that He desires and will be pleased with, true worship, this is how we worship. We tried to just say, what did they do in the Bible? And let's do that. God knew how to build faith. Let's do that. And so that's how we try to worship, because we don't want to give God uncommanded worship. Let me end with this. Why does it matter? Because I th- we all, we're going to come across people who, who don't think it matters how we worship. I hope we've seen in Scripture, there's a lot of worship passages, a lot of worship context where God is saying, I, I don't want this, and I do want this, and this is honorable, and this is not. Why, why does God care? Why does God care about it? Well, I've got two things here. First of all, our worship should truly honor God. It's supposed to be all about God. That's why we're coming together. If God is not pleased, anything else we've done has been a failure. Even if we all leave and say, boy, that was great. If God, if God is not pleased, then we failed. We're supposed to be giving Him something, not giving ourselves something, giving Him something. Now, we will grow from it. I believe that to be true. We will, we will receive blessing and faith and strength and all that if we get the first things first. If we make it about God first, we will grow from it. But when we worship, we are saying something about God. We're saying something, for example, to our young people growing up as they see us worship. We're saying something about what we believe about God by how we worship. As visitors come join us, we're, we're saying to our visitors something we believe about God by how we worship. As people who are not Christians are thinking about it, we're saying something to them about God, good or bad, by how important we think it is or how not important we think it is, by how we worship. Our worship says something about what we believe about God. We want to make sure it's saying the right things, that He deserves our first and our best, and we want it to be about Him, not about us. And then secondly... I think it matters because our worship will shape us. I think the reason God asks for worship, it doesn't help or hurt Him, but we are shaped by it. We are, we, are, we are shaped by our times together before God. We're shaped by our personal time before God. And we've got to be careful how we're shaping ourselves. If, if our worship, if we come in here and just say, this is going to be about us. We're going to do what we want to do. Then guess what we're going to be shaping? We're going to be shaping self-centered Christians. That's what we're going to be shaping. Somebody gave me a book recently, and I've been sort of flipping through it. And one of the things the author says is that, and he's not part of Church of Christ, he's part of a different religious group, but he says, too often in our religious world, 
we have been teaching people, worship and faith is about you. It's about you. And he says, and then we're surprised when they act selfish and act like they're self-centered. He said, we've done this all backwards. And I appreciate that thought because I think he's right. If we come in here and say, this is about us. We're going to do what we want to do. That's going to shape us in a very different way than if we're coming together as a group of people saying, what does God want? How can we focus on Him? How can we lift His name up? How can we draw our our hearts a little closer to Him? You know what that shapes? That shapes a, a heart of humility. That shapes a heart that's truly trying to bow before God, not only in worship, but also in life. We want to be shaped the right way. A couple quick verses on this. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's talking about their worship in the Lord's Supper. He says, you're coming together not for the better, but for the worse. (laughs) That's a really strong statement to me. Yeah, well, at least I'm worshiping Paul. Paul says, no, you're making, you're making each other worse by the way you're worshiping. It's such a self-centered way, I think he's talking about in that context. And in Exodus 34, I love this passage because Moses has spent time with God and he doesn't even know that his face is glowing from spending time with God. And I think when we worship, if we worship correctly, especially, we will be shaped in ways we haven't even noticed. But other people will see it just like they did in Moses, they will see it in us because we've been offering to God true worship. Let's do our best. Let's do our best individually and as a church to give God worship that is worthy of Him. Never to be guilty of hypocritical or performance or heartless or irreverent or uncommanded worship. Let's try to give God what He's asked for. And if we honor God with true worship, I truly believe it will change our lives for the better. Let that always be our commitment as God's people. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be right with Him. Um, I think that's why there is worship. I think that's why there is church. I think there's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. If you're not right with God this morning, we hope you'll take whatever steps you need to take to do that. If you'd like to talk with us after services, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. We'll have two elders in the elders' room after services if you'd like to talk and pray with them. Uh, We'd love to help you. Maybe you've come in this morning ready. You've been thinking about Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you're ready to repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to see you do that. You'll never regret it. Uh, You'll walk the Christian life, you'll have family alongside you, you have God living in you. Uh, It's the best decision of your life. We'd love to see you take that step. Or if we can pray for you about anything. Maybe you've been struggling this week, you'd like your whole church family to pray for you. We'd be honored to do that if you'd like to this morning. If you need to respond publicly in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing. Taste of glory divine.